How are you all doing today? It's good to see your faces. If you're online, it's good that you are joining us on the live stream. My name's Jose. For those that are uh, guests checking us out, we are a church full of imperfect people, and we are doing our best to follow and pursue the only perfect one, Jesus Christ. So I hope that you feel free in this place as you come wherever you are on your faith journey. Today is a good day, especially if you're visiting, because we are talking about judgment. Let's all say that together. Judgment. Yes, that's what we do in church, right? I'm glad you laughed. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus' sermon on Matthew, in Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. And today we're actually picking up first 12 verses of chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. That's where we're going to be here in just a minute. But I want to talk about judgment because, let's all be honest for a little bit, we all judge. We all judge. We do it all the time. And Jesus is really going to teach us how to do that. I named this message law school because in law school, you go, you learn about the law, you learn how to interpret the law and how to apply the law to get whatever outcome, just outcome that we that, that you need. Well, this law school that we're going to go in today, if you've been to law school, you know that it's very expensive. It's uh, very hard and complicated. Well, I hope that today this law school is free, first of all, praise the Lord. Second, it is hopefully simple and then incredibly ac- applicable in your life, specifically in your relationships. So when I was a freshman at Texas State University, <clears throat> I had four priorities. My number one priority was friends. I wanted to find a good group of friends. And then the second priority was I needed to find a job to fund all my activities that I did with my friends. My third priority was soccer. I was on the soccer team and I wanted to stay in shape. I wanted to be a good teammate. And you're saying, well, why'd you go to school? Well, that's, that was my fourth priority was to go to school. And then my fifth priority, I think I said four, but I did have a fifth, and I put church in that category. I wanted church to be a part of my life. What's funny, what God did, um, God uh, snatched me early on in college through a soccer teammate, and he introduced me to y'all, to this church family. And I, for the first time, understood in my heart what Jesus had done for me. My life turned upside down and actually from uh, this church, I got many jobs. I delivered dry cleaning around Hayes County for, for a few years. And uh, I got the best friends that I've ever made. My wife I met in college. And then I uh, got to play a lot of sports. But more than anything, I, I got that accountability from this body of Christ. When something went wrong or when I was going a wrong path, this church Family is so good at speaking the truth in love, calling me out, yet loving me through the way. So this was before then, though. I was looking for a job because I had friends that I needed to fund my activities. And so a, a buddy of mine, actually, he was the, my next door neighbor in my dorm. He told me, hey, the Office of Disability Services is, has some openings. And so he said, I'll drive you over there. Well, I judged. Because this guy uh, was born with a condition called focomelia. He had some uh, malformations uh, in his body. So his arms and his knees um, didn't have the same joints. And so I didn't think that he could drive. And so I judged him immediately because of what I saw. And it was really cool because we got into his car and he drove me all around Texas State campus. If you know campus, he did a, a, a masterful job. I was so impressed. I'm like, man. 
I hate that I judged him. I, I, I judged his ability to do something before even knowing what he was capable of. Have you ever done that to somebody, not knowing what someone is capable of doing and yet judging them and, and thinking that they can or cannot do just based on your discernment? Well, the story continues. I uh, got an interview. I went to the outlet store because I didn't come to college with any interview clothes. And so I spent a lot of money for a college student on nice clothes. Uh, and I went to this interview and the boss said, come in. Didn't even look at me. Didn't even stand up. I just figured that I would sit on the seat to his right because it was the only seat. And so I sat myself. I started kind of talking because he wouldn't talk. He was awkward. He was wearing dark sunglasses. He was staring at his computer and he was just typing. And I was like, this guy is so rude. He's not even paying attention to the clothes that I spent all of this college money on. And, you know, he's not giving me any, any, any sort of attention, any sort of affirmation about two, three minutes into the interview that I realized he was blind. He was not able to see my clothes, and he judged my character. He wasn't about my outward appearance. He was judging me based on my very, very brief resume at the time, but how I answered those questions that he asked me, and he ended up being a terrific boss for over a year. Why do I tell you this story. I tell you this story because we need to recognize before we even jump into the passage that we have a sinful nature inside here that we have a very hard time getting through the outward appearance of people. And what Jesus is calling us to do, he's calling us to see through the outward appearance and look at the heart. I believe that we there's two people in this room right now. There's some of you that are over here and are saying, we're talking on judgment. Bring it, Jose. Tell everybody how wrong well, you know, they are. Convict me and tell me how great God is and how bad I am. And then there's uh, 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 some of us over here that are just kind of on our knees and we're saying, oh man, I'm just... Ah. We're so judgmental. I'm so judgmental. I just need help. And I believe that Jesus really gives us the key on how to be good judges in Matthew chapter 7. So before we jump in, let's pray. Father, I thank you that we, um, we're imperfect, yet you are perfect, and your perfect love is here present with us this morning. I thank you for the way that you see us. I ask that we would be honest with ourselves, that we would bring those things to you, and that your word that is alive today, as it was the day that you spoke it, may it pierce our hearts, may it transform our minds, and may it make us more like you, Jesus. This world needs more of you. Jesus. And so I pray that we would be students of your word and that you would speak through me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So looking back at the uh, Kingdom Manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount, the manifesto defi def defined is a written statement declaring publicly the intentions, motives, or views of its issue. It's important because Jesus here is giving us his decree of how we are called to build our lives, how we're supposed to be his kingdom 
people. Matthew 7, 24 uh, says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We'll focus on this passage next uh, week, but this is really the thesis of the entire Sermon on the Mount. Jesus doesn't only want us to hear what he has to say. He wants us to actually put it into practice because when we do, Life is going to throw all sorts of stuff our way, but we can be founded on the solid foundation that is Jesus Christ. That is what we want to do. We don't just want to be hearers. We want to be doers. Blessed, he said, are not the powerful or the privileged. Blessed, Jesus says at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, are the poor and the persecuted. So he flips how we see things upside down, and then he asks us to live inside out. We looked at this when we saw that if we take care of anger in our hearts, we don't have to worry about murder. So he's looking for inside out living, and then we started investing. He saw how he wants us to invest uh, in our relationship with him through three spiritual disciplines, fasting, giving, and, and praying. And then last week, we looked at how God says, do not worry about what you will eat, about what you will wear, for he alone is our provider. Instead, seek his kingdom and live righteously, and all these things will be given to you. And that is the foundation for this, uh, these verses. He's now talking, uh, calling us to see horizontally how we relate to one another. And he starts in verse 1 of chapter 7, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be used against you. Why? Do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's I do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. We're going to look at the rest of this passage in a little bit, but through all of this, I have six takeaways from these verses that I really believe will help us be good judges. See, the first point is that there is good and a bad way to judge. There's good and bad judgment. The world today says that judgment is all bad. Don't judge anything or anyone. Just take care of you and just don't judge at all. Well, that's really hard for two reasons. One, in the first story of the Bible, after God created everything, he created us in his image, and then we did something. God said, don't eat of that fruit, and we did not trust God. Instead, we decided, because we were deceived by the enemy, that it was okay to eat that fruit. What we did was we became the judge. We judged right versus wrong on our own terms instead of trusting God. That is our sinful nature. And so there is good and bad judgment. Here's some good judgment. What God says is good is good. What God says is bad is bad. That's written in his word. So we need to be students of the word in order to know what's good and what's bad. Another good judgment is when we see something in another person 
and, 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 and that is not right according to the Lord. And Holy Spirit speaks to us and says, man, I'm really concerned for so-and-so. They're down a wrong path. A good judgment is being for them. We'll talk about this uh, a little bit more here uh, to come. Bad judgment. This is where Jesus says, do not judge. Bad judgment pronounces guilt and condemnation. That's not our place. The only judge is Jesus. He sits on the throne and we don't have, we're not that high up the pay grade scale, amen? And I don't want to be. That's a lot of responsibility. But oftentimes we want to sit on the throne and decide what is good or bad. And what that does often, it pronounces guilt to someone. And what it does is, is it makes us be over them. It expresses this pride inside of us. I am better than you. Listen, this world needs People that are for others, not against them. And there's a fine line between being for someone and saying, hey, let's talk about this versus being against someone and saying, I'm telling you this to push you underground and prove how right I am. Do you see the difference? God is calling us to be for others. That is good judgment. Really, the key is in Romans one at the end of the first chapter, Paul is describing the culture in Rome. I would encourage you to read it uh, on your own, the whole chapter, first chapter, because it's pretty close to what we are living today. And at the end of uh, the chapter, first chapter, Paul says this about the Gentile culture, this Roman culture of the time. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they knew, know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So those of us over here are like, yes, tell them, Paul. You know, yes, those people then and those people now, those are my neighbors, those are my coworkers, those are some of my own family members, all of those things, right? We're so good at telling other people what they do and who they are. But Paul, we gotta keep on reading because Paul, the first verse of chapter two says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. We're all on the same level playing field this side of heaven. There's only one judge, and we got to know the difference between good and bad judgment. So again, good judgment is having discernment. Can we all say that together? Discernment. When we see that something is not good according to God's word, then we put, that, we put some action to that discernment versus keeping that discernment to ourselves or even telling other people about it and building a team. That then turns into bad judgment because now we really, we're not even giving the other person a chance. We're standing over them. We're saying, we know better. And Paul here is saying, no, you are condemning yourself because you do the same things. We're only on the first point. But I am sure that some of us, because even of righteous anger, 
are falling into that, especially given everything that's going on in our culture. We're letting it rise in and through us. What I want us to see is that there is another human being on the other side that is equally as broken and hurt, and there's a really good chance that they do not know the love of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing more important for us to do than to share that hope that we, although we deserve all the punishment for our sins, he came down to save us from that punishment. That is good news for me today. I hope it is for you as well. Here's the second thing that Jesus is saying, judgment boomerang. So with the same measure that you use, it will be used against you. I love that. What goes around comes around. This is one of those things that Jesus is saying, if you set the measure really, really high, if you judge you're really, really good at telling other people what to do, you better, you better measure up to that. And uh, the way that that's seen most in my life is in jobs with my boss in certain uh, uh, ways. I've been like, man, tell the boss. I'd do things differently. I, they should have said this. They should have said that. It's not even that hard. Anybody with me? I'm the only one. Great. Maybe two, three of us. There was uh, a job that we had when I worked at the Supreme Court. We were called Marshall's Aides, and uh, we had some really kind of boring jobs, and we had some exciting ones. This was an exciting one. We got to sit behind the justices while they were doing their judging thing, and uh, while they were listening to the case, this happens, uh, when they listen to the case, uh, they often cites things. So some code, or they ask a question in their mind, and they're so smart that instead of uh, turning to, this is true, Instead of turning to their cell phone or Google or an iPad or a laptop, they actually know where that law is cited in, a, in, in the U.S. code, which there's like, oh, I don't even know, hundreds of millions of volumes, not millions, but okay. Um, and and um, then they write down in a little piece of paper, hey, I need to reference, they don't say, hey, reference uh, whatever code. And so they hand the, this little piece of paper to the aides, and the aides go and take it up to the library, and then they give them the U.S. code, and then you got to open up the code, know how to read the code, put the little uh, paper on the book, and then you give it to the justice so that they can cite and discern whether something is constitutional, unconstitutional. So when I heard this, like you, it's like, that's not that hard. It's a little piece of paper. It tells you what to say, you know? But when Justice Scalia passed me my first little paper, you know, after my team leader had told me, this is what you do, I'm like, yeah, no, I'll be fine. I know how to read. I forgot how to read. I forgot the way to the library, and I was like, pants, like, did I do that right? Did I do this wrong? You know, it's up to me whether this justice has what he needs in order to discern whether something is constitutional. What's going to happen to my kids? And all this other stuff just starts going through your brain. When you are in those shoes, it's a little different, isn't it? So some of us just need to lower that measure for yourself because it comes around. Isn't God kind? You know, he's so, he gives us accountability right there. Judgment boomerangs. The third is take care, then care. Take care of yourself. What is this little speck that we see in another person's eye? We're really good at seeing it in another person's. I don't know if you can see it, but literally it's this. And what I love about this illustration is that Jesus is, giving us an insight of his upbringing. He was a son of a carpenter. So he knows what it's like when he was in the shop with Joseph, his adopted dad. He knows what it's like to have one of these in his eye. It's not fun. But the reality is saying, you are so good 
at seeing this little speck when this two by four plank is in your eye. So you got to take care of this before you take care of this and somebody else's. Take care of yourself. One thing that our culture says is you are a victim. Blame everybody else for all of the things that have happened to you. No, let's take personal responsibility for this. In that encounter, we learned something amazing. That yes, sin is what we do. But sin is also what is done unto us by others. And the truth is, is that there have been seasons in my life, and I know yours too, where you have been a victim of something that you did not deserve. That's because our world is broken. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus Christ died on the cross and his blood was shed for the sins that you committed and for the sins that have been committed unto you and me. And when we give our lives to Jesus, what he does is he heals that. He heals those wounds. He heals those traumas. And oftentimes, that's what this is. It's not only a judgmental attitude. It's undealt hurt in our life. And so he says, take care. Take care of this before you start worrying about this. Do you see the difference? But we're so good at this, and we miss out on all of this. But it doesn't stop at taking personal responsibility. Because if we stop there, then we do what the culture says. Well, nope, whatever you say and you believe in and whatever you think is right, well, that's your truth. But this is my truth over here. Just respect it. Great. I'm all in with respect. We'll talk about that in just a little bit too. But what we need to remember, yes, personal responsibility, but who's going to care for the other person? Who's going to love them the way that Jesus does? If you're a Jesus follower, then that's you. That's your role in their life, to show them the love of Jesus, to give to them something that they do not deserve, just like Jesus gave you something that you do not deserve. So take care, then care for others. I said this before, but it's, uh, I'm going to repeat it. This world has enough people that come against others. We need to be people that are for others. And so when we see this little speck, take care of this in your life and then pray and lovingly speak the truth into someone else's life. And I'm sure that you will do exactly what 1 Timothy says. Paul speaking to Timothy, he is talking about, he's judging this group of people, these false teachers. You can read it in the first chapter. And Paul is saying, these guys are going this way, Timothy. Not only do I need you to go over here, but I need you to convince them to come this way. And so he says this, the purpose of my instruction in 1 Timothy 1.5, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. So when we are calling someone else's stuff out, this is a really good filter. Is this coming from a pure heart in here? Or am I trying to prove how right I am or how wrong they are? Is this coming from a clear conscience? Have I taken care of what I need to take care of? And is this coming from genuine faith? Ask yourself that whenever the Lord gives you discernment about somebody 
else's stuff. So moving on, uh, point four, give wisely. So Jesus is now talking, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So, okay, Jesus, you just said don't judge, but now you're calling people pigs and dogs? What's going on? Well, this is it. Jesus is talking about the gospel as the pearl. And I don't know if you've done this or this has happened to you, but you share God's love with someone and they just don't want anything to do with it. It's not because they're dogs or they're pigs. It's because they're, it's not your job to convince anyone of anything. It's God's. And so we just need to go and, and, and love and share but then there's like a stopping point where we may not give anymore, but we may pray. And so we got to be careful what we give because when we give people too much, then this ends up happening. What is precious to God, what is precious to you ends up getting trampled. So he's saying they're just not ready. They don't know how to take care of that because first they need to understand God's love. Who's showing them God's love? You and I are as we give to them love that they do not deserve. Y'all, this is hard stuff. Our world says that we can't love someone that we disagree with. We can't love someone that we can disagree with politically. If we have different political opinions, we can't have a relationship. If we disagree uh, religiously for something, we can't have a loving relationship. And I'm calling that out today. I'm saying that is a lie from hell. That is not true. You can love and want the best for someone and still disagree with them. And I really believe that it's the church, the body of Christ that knows the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ that is called to pave the way in our culture. It's happening right now. And we get to do that as we do this. That's why I think it's so cool that he closes with seven through 12 verses, seven through 12. Read those. Got two more points and then we're done. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We just talked about this judgment, this posture of being over someone. And I love the, how he flips that. Now we're on the other side over here and we're saying, I'm asking. We need to posture ourselves in humility and ask God for his grace. Ask God for his love. Have you ever prayed that for someone that's difficult to love in your life? Lord, allow me to see them the way that you do. Fill me, God, with the love that you have for them, that'll change everything. That'll change what we say. That'll change how we act. And it won't change what we discern, good or bad. So ask humbly, seek diligently, and knock with perseverance. That's us pursuing in this posture of humility. We ask, and then we continue to pursue as we seek diligently. So we don't stop. We don't only ask once. We continue to seek, and then Finally, we're at the door. We're knocking with perseverance. That's the kind of devotion that God wants us to have towards him in our prayer life. And as we do that, y'all, 
He will fill us with his love for others. And he finishes in verse 12. So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Love others the way God loves you. Anytime in scripture, when we see this word sums up, or this is a summary or anything, let's pay attention because this is a cliff note. This is something that summarizes very complicated stuff. The law, first five books in the Bible, and a lot of the Old Testament is really complicated stuff, but this sums it up. Do to others what you would have them do to you. It's echoing the great commandment that says, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If we love God, then we know how much God loves us. And we're able to love our neighbors the way that God has loved you and me. That's the key. Worship team, you can come back up. I want to close by talking about this judgment seat because the truth is, is God is on the throne and he will judge. He's just. And so he will keep us accountable for things. Scripture is clear on that. But here's the good news. That fear that I have when I think of all the things that I've done wrong and the punishment that I've deserved is taken up by Jesus thanks to his sacrifice on the cross for you and for me. John 3.16 is the gospel. For God so loved the world, not judged the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We need rescue, and God provided that rescue through Jesus. And he wants to rescue others. He wants to rescue our culture through the gospel and through his body here on earth. That is you if you are in Christ, and if you're not, living in relationship with Jesus, if you haven't made that decision, I, I pray that that becomes real to you, that God may, I don't know what your religious upbringing was, but that God did not come to judge. God came to save us from the judgment that our sin deserves. So he gave us a way out of that judgment because he paid the price for you and for me. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we accept that into our lives, everything changes. And we're able then to look at others and not look at the outward appearance, not look at the action, but look at the heart. And so I don't know where you are this morning, but I encourage you to respond to what God is doing in your life. I challenge you to maybe, maybe, maybe you're, you're thinking, well, this is, no, I'm not good with God being a judge or there being an absolute uh, right or wrong. Well, the good news is that you don't need to decide that. God already did. And so you can just trust God and, and trust his word and trust that he is good. He's a good judge and he's a good father. And maybe you're on the other side and you're saying, there's just too much for me not to judge. I'm filled with anger and I'm filled with rage. And my encouragement to you is to offer that up back to God. Because he and he alone is the judge. And he can give you peace and he can give you love. 
and he takes all the burden away of trying to be that judge in whatever circumstance you may be feeling. So if you would stand up to your feet and let's pray.